Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 47 of the Live Free Experience. I'm your host, Brianna Bowley, performance coach, curiosity hound, and founder of the Live Free Movement, a movement dedicated to showing the world what else is possible. Now, on today's show, I'm pretty amped to uh, roll this one out for you guys. I'm chatting with uh, one of my very first mentors and a good friend of mine, Michael Johnson, the Mojo Master. My entire life, I've really um, felt drawn to connect people with the best of the best and experts in their chosen fields. And I definitely feel that Michael is one of these people. And it was a real honor to get to sit and chat with him, you know, years after having done so many of his courses and having worked with him. Um, It was really cool to get to sit down and share some of his knowledge with, with all of you, my listeners. So... Uh, you know, I'm going to let Michael do the talking. Um, I think for this one, you've really got to just, you know, sit down and, uh, you know, get out your notepad, take some notes. Trust me, this man is a whirlwind of knowledge. Yeah. So sit down, strap in, enjoy. Without further ado, let's get this show on the road. All right. Michael Johnson, the Mojo Master. Tell us a bit about, uh, first of all, who the Mojo Master is and how he came about. Awesome. Um, so originally, I guess I was a uh, diesel mechanic by trade, got into the PT industry, worked in there for uh, a fair while, I think it was seven, eight, nine years, whatever it was, and uh, just kept finding that there were lots of challenges that were pe- uh, people were having. So uh, a lot of them were having physical uh, injuries. Um, you know, we had heaps of people coming in with uh, physical issues and they were getting lots of different types of treatments. Um, and I, I just wanted to keep helping people. So. Uh, ended up going and studying uh, high performance kinesiology and then uh, studying nutrition. And then after that, I started realizing that most people knew what to do anyway, they just weren't doing it. Um, and then that led me into looking at the mindset and how the mind works. Um, and then what I found was that there was a lot of stuff, there was a lot of information that was out there, but not really, I don't know that it was achieving that great results. And uh, I ended up working in a medical center for two, two and a half years, and I was working, uh, I, I ran a little rehab. I guess a studio and I used to get lots of referrals from the physios and the doctors and uh, other practitioners in there. Um, And I found that there was lots of gaps and lots of incongruencies with, uh, I guess, the mental side of things and how the mind would work. Um, Yeah, there were just really big gaps. And I guess it wasn't a hard science, it was a lot of a softer science. So um, it sort of drove me to try and figure out how we think and why we think the way that we think. and I guess it pushed me to study lots of different fields. And um, that's where I am today, just studying lots of different fields about how the mind works. Um, because really, if you, look at it, if you look at the mindset from different angles, the mind has a massive, or our thoughts have a massive impact on our biology. Um, you know, from the second that we perceive that something's a threat, we have a chemical reaction that happens within the body, um, and then we can label that as stress. The same thing can happen with anxiety. You know, there's so many different ideas around anxiety there, but uh, if you go and have a look at it from a basic form, you know, if you're ever you're in a car and you perceive that it's going to take maybe 20 minutes to get somewhere and you're maybe you give yourself half an hour, all of a sudden you hit a whole bunch of traffic and you know that it's going to take you 15 to 20 minutes, all of a sudden the anxiety just comes on straight away. Uh, for most people anyway, if you can stay calm, then maybe not. But um, you can see that there's a direct correlation between our thoughts and the emotions and the chemical state within the body. Yet there's lots of arguments in different fields of science as to, you know, whether it's chemical imbalances that drive certain thought patterns or whether it's the thought patterns that drive chemical imbalances. But there's a set process there. There's a set um, pattern that happens 
Um, and then those emotional states that we have drive certain behaviors and reactions that we have, um, which then reinforce thoughts and thinking. Um, so I just kept trying to figure out how all that stuff works because I thought if I want to keep helping people, I really need to figure out um, how the mind works because you know if you want to change behavior or you want to perform at your peak, um, you really have to figure out how your emotions work. And then if you want to figure out how your emotions work, you really have to think about the thought process that people go through um, in order to create those thought processes. And there's a whole bunch of other influences there uh, around you know environmental factors and, and so on. Um, it's not just black and white, but uh, yeah, it just really drove me to to try and figure out how we work and how we can perform at our peak as well. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really the thing that drives me is um, what I've found is that really anyone who's kicking ass in life enjoys life and, and those who aren't really kicking ass seem to struggle quite a lot or perceive that they're not kicking ass. Um, and so if you can just really help people to kick ass, then you know everything else seems to take care of itself. Mm -hmm. Yep. Beautiful. So I've done quite a number of your courses. Mm -hmm. And before that, I'd kind of... I was, I was kind of jumping from course to course, um, which were very focused on positive thinking. And mm -hmm. for me, I felt like I was just sort of spinning my wheels. Yep. And I found that yours was, your courses seemed to actually get me moving. So yep. how would you explain how your courses differ from like the stock standard kind of positive thinking? Oh, look, I, I get asked this question a lot. The only way to describe it is that you've got to come and sit in it. Um, I guess what I, what I found, and I went through the whole positive thinking thing as well, I think that when most people go through a whole phase of negative cycles in life, and, and if we can label them as negative cycles, I don't believe that they're negative because normally when you look back at them in the future, they tend to be not so negative, especially if you can find good learnings in um, you know, those dark times or, or the down times, which are actually beneficial. But um, what I found was that when I was in those dark stages, I would crave this positive you know, these positive thinking and, and be more positive. But what I found was that a lot of the time when I was positive on the outside, I was, a, I was quite negative on the inside. You know, I felt like I wasn't living up to my own expectations. I used to beat myself up quite a lot. Uh, it caused a whole bunch of uh, shit cycles like uh, binge eating, you know, as you sort of suppress a whole bunch of your emotional crap. Um, it, it goes out in so many different ways and then you use food to force it down. Um, I've found that there's patterns of behavior that happen with people with certain addictive habits. Um, or destructive habits, destructive behaviors, I guess you could say. Um, and so that's, I guess that's what drove me to look at other sciences as well, not just psychology. And I think that one of the challenges that we have in this day and age is that there are so many specialty fields that are fantastic. They know a lot about a lot. Uh, sorry, they know a lot about a little. That's something that's really important. Um, and I love going down and studying uh, different fields where there's a real great depth of knowledge. But the problem is, is that in those specialty fields, they study a lot about a really little bit and they're experts at that really little bit now if you know that that little bit is the problem then that's fantastic but a lot of the time without having someone who has a general overview of how you know all the different um, parts of the body all interlink and how it all fits together um, and I guess someone who's a bit more holistic in their way of, of looking at things uh, it can really cause a lot of issues and I used to see this working in the medical center where people would go into these, they'd be um, directed into these specialty fields or go and see these specialists, but they'd normally get passed from specialist to specialist to specialist because they really didn't have any idea as to what was happening or what was a trigger. So because of that, they'd try an approach and if that approach didn't work, they'd just send you to some another expert who would uh, again go down that path and um, use their expertise. And it was just sort of a hope and pray methodology, um, which when you look at science, science has to be replicatable. Um, and I didn't think that that was a very replicatable scientific methodology for treatment. Um, 
I think that both parties, someone who's a bit more holistic and someone who uh, is a specialist has their place, but I think the holistic person comes in more to look at lots of different uh, patterns of behavior or, or looks at uh, environmental factors from an overview instead of looking at it from a specialty view. Um, and I guess our events look at things from a more holistic perspective about how a whole bunch of different sciences fit together in order to create human behavior um, and how they interlink. And something that I found really, really fascinating is that when I studied different fields of hard science, so if you study fields like chemistry or physics, um, if you study, and uh, not saying that I'm an expert in any of those fields by any means, but I guess I've, I know more than the average person by quite a, quite a bit, um, but I'm, I work with lots of specialists and lots of uh, highly educated professionals to learn from those people. Uh, what I found is that there is a common law, um, and even in mathematics, there are common laws that in hard sciences normally are replicatable, and that is the law of balance. That normally things seem to balance themselves out. Um, you know, if you have a look at an ionized state, there's normally in chemistry, there's a counterbalancing ionized state. So a positive charge will normally attract a negative charge. Uh, in electromagnetism, the north pole of the magnet attracts the south pole of the magnet. Um, we've got black holes and then, um, you know, uh, universes being born uh, through uh, Big Bang theories and so on. So there was this common principle that overlapped and it was that you can't have one thing without another thing. So you can't have something that's a positive charge without its counterbalancing negative charge. Um, and even in um, you know, th theories like quantum theory, every time there's a, a positive particle, there's its counterbalancing antiparticle. So you could have a look at a proton, they, there's an antiproton. Every time there's an electron, there's an antielectron. Um, and I won't get too scientific in those things, but what I found was that there was always a counterbalancing thing happening at exactly the same moment, and that everything in the universe seemed to be balancing itself out in some way, shape, or form. Um, there are different theories, though, that counter that, counter that um, but nothing that I've really seen that's been, um, you know, something that has been backed up over and over and over again. So what I started looking at was how the mind starts to balance itself out. And then I came across some other people who were thinking like me as well. And one of those was uh, a guy called Dr. John D. Martini, who's a good friend of mine now. And um, I started seeing that there were these patterns of, of how the mind works, that for every positive thought that we have, there's actually a counterbalancing negative thought. And then I was studying a scientific article uh, and I was looking for different ideas around that. And I came across an article on memories and anti-memories. And what it showed was that for every thought that we have, there's a counterbalancing anti-thought at the same time, which seems a bit crazy because we've been taught to think differently about it. But uh, what I found was that for every time we have a positive thought and the more that we try and push these ideas of positive thoughts, the more in our unconscious mind we keep something that's negative. But then what tends to happen is we create this thing called a vicious cycle and that vicious cycle that tries to counterbalance that leads us to doing things that then we perceive are quite negative. Now, when someone does something, if they subscribe to positive thinking, when they start to perceive that they're being quite negative, they will crave more of the positive stuff, but then the positive stuff leads to more negative stuff and it creates this cycle that they keep going through. Um, and so what I found was that it wasn't very beneficial for a client with their future outcomes. You know, I don't wanna be positive, but I don't wanna be negative. Now I'm quite fortunate where I get to work with some amazing business leaders who are my private clients. Um, and you know, depending on the time of year uh, and, and depending on what I've got going on, normally on average, my client list has an estimated worth of around about a billion dollars and that's between 10 clients that I normally take on. Mm -hmm. So they're very high net worth earners. And what I found is that someone who is fantastic in business normally isn't positive, they're not a positive thinker, but they wouldn't, they're not a negative thinker either. Mm -hmm. They're actually quite balanced in their thinking. 
they, they're optimistic enough to see that the future can be better, but at the same time, they're pessimistic enough to realize that there can be lots of problems and they need to overcome a lot of those problems in order to get to their desired outcome. And what I realized was a lot of really high performers and high achievers, they don't really think in positive ways, nor do they crave positivity. They just see things in the future better than the way that they are. So they're very driven to achieve, but at the same time, they know that there's gonna be a lot of problems and a lot of crap that they've got to deal with. And because of that, they mitigate risk. What I've found is that people who are highly, highly optimistic, they don't perceive that there are gonna be any problems or any challenges. And so they just run flat out towards the goals that they want. And then eventually they fall off of a cliff or um, metaphorically, mm-hmm. um, and then they end up in a big shit pile. Then they try to uh, hide the shit pile as well because normally someone who's very positive tells everyone that everything's going well. And then when things don't go very well, then they tend to hide it, which then causes a lot of internal conflict and a lot of internal crap that goes on. Um, which then normally leads to them beating themselves up because they feel like they're not good enough because you know they've got all these negative things that are going on. And there seems to be this crazy cycle that, that they end up in. Um, and some of the most positive people that I've met uh, have ended up in some of the most horrible places that they can possibly think of because they keep going through this cycle. And I've even got some friends who, you know, over the years, they would classify themselves as very positive people, yet when I'm around them, they're actually quite negative on the inside. Um, and when you get deep talking to them, they, they have a lot of... Uh, crazy shit going on inside their head, um, which they tend to hide from everybody else. Instead of just saying, look, I'm going through a challenging time, not that it's bad, not that it's good, it's just that I've got these challenges, I need to go and find people who can help uh, to overcome those challenges and life will keep moving forward in the direction that I want. And that doesn't mean that they need to go and you know, talk to someone consistently about their problems because I think that that's a really crappy strategy that society has created where they think that by talking about your problems, it makes you feel better, but that's the reason why a lot of people use drugs and alcohol as well. You know, it makes you feel better in the moment, but it doesn't create a long-term solution for a, for a long-term problem. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I just started looking for diff- different methodologies and different ideas around how we can actually create a more balanced mind instead of trying to create a positive mind or you know, thinking that we're negative because neither of those two create long-term sustainable outcomes that help us to achieve, I think, greater desired results uh, within our own lives. Everyone really has you know, these dreams and these goals and these aspirations the, what I've seen is that those who achieve at the highest level are normally the most balanced about those goals and dreams. If it's a fantasy, normally someone will, will chase something that they perceive will make them happy in life, but at the same time, they'll normally end up miserable at the same time, even if they get it. Um, and I've met and worked with a lot of high achievers who seem to chase these big goals and these big dreams, yet when they get them, they're still fucking miserable and nothing changes. Um, and it's just because they're chasing something that, that isn't really balanced. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of the stuff that we do isn't positive thinking. Um, I don't advocate positive thinking. I think that it actually causes people a lot of mental and emotional issues. Um, and normally when I work with people who, who perceive that they have a lot of mental health issues, um, depending on what the mental health issue is, by the way, um, a lot of the more basic ones that, we, that seem to be popping up a lot more in society normally tend to be driven from a perception of my life is shit because I'm not achieving where I perceive that I should be. Um, all my friends and all my family always seem to be happy and they always seem to be positive. Yeah, I'm not like that. And that's because they're reflective on the inside. Yeah, then there are lots of people who say that in private, but then in public they come out and say how great they are, how great life is, how they're kicking ass. And so a lot of people are playing this game where um, they're trying to tell everyone how positive they are and how great life is, but at the same time they're, they're getting crushed on the inside. Um, and yeah, it seems to be causing a lot more issues. Instead of just saying, look, I'm not really where I want to be, but no one ever fucking is because that's the whole point of life is to consistently grow and anything that doesn't grow dies. So therefore, our goal is to consistently grow, not to be happy. You know, trees don't worry about being happy. 
anything in nature, actually really humans are the only things that actually worry themselves about being happy. Everything just worries about growing. Mm -hmm. And growth is the most fulfilling thing. <coughs> you know, like if you look at someone in sports and you know, I know you have a lot to do with uh, mixed martial arts and martial arts, the most fulfilling thing in any sport isn't being happy. The most fulfilling thing in any sport is taking on massive challenges, pushing yourself to the fucking limits and thinking, I can't do this and saying that so many times that eventually you go, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to do it. And then you get to a point where you end up doing it and you go, that was worth it. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that creates self-worth. That's the thing that creates fulfillment. And I think that as a society, we need to stop with this happiness drive mm -hmm. and get back to what is the thing that really fulfills me? What is the challenge that I'm going to take on a daily basis that's going to drive me to feel that life is worthwhile because I'm consistently growing and pushing myself to get there. But at the same time, um, you know, taking on this huge challenge, um, which brings up great amounts of self-worth. Mm -hmm. You know, life's not supposed to be easy. That's, that's crazy. Um, it's absolute craziness. You know, trees, there's a saying that I have, and that's that trees grow the deepest roots in the harshest droughts. It's when we get put under pressure that we grow the most. And in nature, if things aren't growing, they die. So therefore, why is it that we think that if everything's happy, that then life would be great? When really, when everything's going well, humans have a habit of fucking everything up, right? You know, when everything goes well, that's when they self-sabotage, that's when they destroy things because they don't have something greater to keep pushing themselves towards. So the thing is that we've got to keep pushing ourselves in order to grow and expand. But every time we do that, it's going to create massive amounts of stress, huge amounts of pressure. It's how we handle that pressure and how we handle that stress as to whether we get self-worth or greater self-belief. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a huge advocate for growth and not so much positive thinking or happiness or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Beautiful. So you touched on a few times there, self-worth. So yep. I've noticed a, a shift, um, just generally speaking, of, of people really advocating self-love. Mm -hmm. But from my perception, when they're advocating the self-love, it's still lopsided. It's still mm -hmm. focusing on that positivity and sort of only um, really looking to grow those positive parts of themselves as opposed to really owning the negatives. Yeah. What's your take on self-love? Well, look, self-love is being yourself and, and owning that part of yourself in all ways. And I don't think that anyone really has 100% self-love. Mm -hmm. If we did, why would we have any reason to do anything in life? There are parts of ourselves that we admire and there are parts of ourselves that we reject. And we, I was talking about this yesterday um, here um, where, where I was training up a whole bunch of coaches and um, we were talking about death. And I said, really, when you think about death, the reason why a lot of people mourn someone dying is because there's parts of them that they admire. We don't admire the parts of them that whinge. We don't admire the parts of them that moan all the time. And when someone dies, we don't go, you know, I'm so sad that, you know, their, their whinging has gone. <laughs> you know, I'm so sad about that. We go, thank fuck that part of it's gone, but we miss the other parts, the nurturing part, the caring part. And we're the same as well within our own heads. There is a part of us that we infatuate with or that we love, that, that we admire. And it's that admiration that has fears of loss. There are other parts of ourselves when I was talking about uh, humans who have the fear of death, like we get a lot of people who come through and they're afraid of dying, but normally those who are afraid of dying are the ones who actually are also afraid to live um, because it's when we just go and do what we love to do that I think those fears balance themselves out quite quite a lot. Um, so with, going back to self-love, true self-love is actually owning all parts of yourself, the part of yourself that is a prick, the part of yourself that's an asshole, the part of yourself that's kind, the part of yourself that's angry, the part of yourself that's aggressive. The more and more we own that part of ourselves, the more self-love that we create. Um, and the more fulfilled we are as well. 
what I find though in our society is that a lot of society hold on to this idea that we need to be this super positive, happy, kind person all the time. But being kind can be one of the worst things that mm. most people do. A lot of people come to my events and they say things because they've done a lot of personal development. They go to like all this, I don't know, hyperactive crap out there. Um, I used to be involved in that as well. Um, and then I just realized that it didn't work. Like the more jacked up and hyped up you get, of course you're gonna do something when you feel good. But what about the days when you don't feel so good, which is half of the time, right? So I need to help people to understand how to change their mindset in that moment. The, the times that we don't wanna do something, you know, the day you wake up and you can't be bothered going to the gym, that's where you actually test your mindset. Um, in any sport as well, it's the day that you lose is the day that you actually test out where you're really at. Mm -hmm. um, the day that you're getting your ass kicked in life is the day that you actually test out how skilled you are at dealing with that. When everything's going well, anything can, I mean, anyone can deal with it or anyone can do things in life when everything's going great. But life doesn't go great all the time. You know, there's lots of shit that we come up against, lots of challenges. How we deal with that actually determines where we are. Um, so coming back to self-love, what I found is a lot of people come to our events and they're brought into this myth of like, oh, I'm kind to everyone and I need to be nice to everyone. There's nothing worse than doing that consistently because if you do that, you get taken advantage of a lot, right? So people who are overkind can get taken advantage of. Then they get really angry and really mad on the inside. Then all this anger and, and frustration all starts to build up within them. And then sometimes they can snap and have these emotional outbursts. And then they have the emotional outbursts. They sort of set a few boundaries, but then they go back to being super kind again. Then in the future, they get taken advantage of. And again, it's a vicious cycle. <clears throat> it's about being balanced. So it's... I don't think that, that self-love is being kind to everybody. It's not about being happy to everybody. It's about setting your own boundaries. And there's boundaries, you know, I set lots of boundaries in the way that I live. Those boundaries are here are my boundaries and why we plan those boundaries and why I get to live my values and why I get, why I get to do the things that I love in life, then I'm cool with where those boundaries are at. Yeah. But you cross those boundaries and I'm an asshole just like everybody else. But I think that a lot of people don't protect their boundaries in life because they're too busy trying to be kind. Then there are some people who are just angry and upset because they don't, they don't, um, not that they don't set boundaries, some people set boundaries, but they're just angry and frustrated because they don't feel like life's giving them the opportunities that they want, but also they're not, they're not actively pursuing the opportunities that they want. Um, so there's a very good balance between all emotional states that actually help us to drive our life forward. So by being kind, that's not a good thing, but being angry all the time isn't a good thing. Mm -hmm. Being balanced between those two things and, and having times of kindness and times of aggression where you can set your boundaries and, and make sure that people stick to them. Because people will test your boundaries. Mm -hmm. It's just part of human nature. Every human being on the planet has a different value system. All of us have different beliefs, ideas, ideals, and so on. Expecting that 7 billion people on the planet are going to live life the way that you expect to live life is craziness. Um, so it's important to just say, look, these are my boundaries. This is how I this is how I live life. Now I'm cool if you don't if you don't appreciate those boundaries, but at the same time, if you're going to come into my life and hang out with me quite a lot, then these are my boundaries, and you need to respect those. If not, that's fine. You can go off and do your own thing. I'm I, I you know I'm not going to be angry or I'm not going to be aggressive at you. Where that stuff's going to come out is you cross those boundaries. Then that's where you're going to see that other side. Yeah. Um, and I think the more that people in society do that uh, and have well balanced define lines in life not just because you're an asshole and you're trying to push people around um, I was talking to someone the other day and I was talking about control and I said it's actually the people who are the most out of control mentally that normally try to control others in an aggressive fashion when you're 
when you're balanced, like I think I'm a control freak. I like to control my life, right? I, I, I wake up in the morning and I go to the gym because I'm in control of that part of myself. The food that I eat, I like to be in control of that. You know, I don't like to just go out and eat McDonald's and shit food because it makes me feel like crap. That's a boundary that I don't want to cross. So by being a control freak and controlling your own internal world and your mental thoughts and your mental processes allows you to control your life. So being a control freak is not a problem. Being out of control in your own head and then controlling others because you can't control yourself, that's a huge problem in our society. So, you know, having a balance between being in control and, and learning that if you're in control of yourself, you don't need to control others, that's quite a balanced state. Being out of control in your own head and not being able to control your own shit and then trying to control everybody else, the 7 billion people on the planet, that's out of control. You know, like when you see guys getting out of the car with road rage and beating the shit out of each other because, you know, someone cut them off in traffic. That's someone who's out of control. Yeah. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to control others around them because they think that by dictating um, the way that other people behave that their life's going to be better. That's really what it breaks down to, right? Mm -hmm. um, but by doing that, that's a person who's lost control. There is no way that person's ever going to be fulfilled or even have self-love, self-worth um, because how can you control 7 billion people? You're just going to be pissed off with 7 billion people, have trust issues, have, have all these issues. But a lot of the time in certain fields of science, you know, they'll call that a person who's a control freak. It's not a control freak. That's someone who's out of control. Um, it's sort of the opposite. The most calm, the most calm people are normally the ones who are the most in control. They're the most, they're the biggest control freaks, but they control themselves, not others. Yeah. Um, going back to self-love, you know, self-love is really your ability to live your own values, your own purpose. You've got a clearly defined purpose. You've got a clearly defined mission in life for the future that should drive your behaviors on a daily basis. Um, and you've got, yeah, you've got clear values. So you've got a values, purpose, mission, and then you set goals off of those. That's how you become fulfilled. Then the goal is to create a, a balanced mind, which is what the Chinese called yin and yang. Um, and there's lots of different philosophies throughout history that have spoken about um, balance in the universe, or, or uh, you know, and that can even relate to our mind. Um, but the more we have mental balance, the more we just drive towards what we want the more challenges we take on externally because we want to push ourselves in order to achieve. Yeah. And with those challenges, it creates stress, it creates pressure, but we can control that stress and that pressure mm -hmm. um, in let, instead of letting it control us. Um, and then we just keep moving forward. And that's how we build our self-love. That's how we grow. And it's owning those parts of ourselves as well that we dismiss in others. You know, when yeah. you call someone else an asshole, that's because you're an asshole. Um, that you haven't owned that part. Mm -hmm. um, I had one a person at my events years ago that, that came up to me and called me an asshole and I was quite offended by it, um, you know, as you would be. And I, I thought, you know, fuck this guy. How dare he call me an asshole? And then what I realized is I'm an asshole. Yeah. You know, I can be an asshole. There's a time and a place. I can be kind, but I can also be aggressive. I can be friendly, but I can also be frustrated. Um, you know, I've got, the more and more I go through life, the more and more I own those parts of myself. And there's a time and a place to use them. And every tool is used for a certain application, right? Um, all of our emotions are used for certain situations. And the more that we can control our emotions in certain situations, the more we can control our own life, um, but also as well, the more self-worth that we create by taking on those greater challenges, which then you know normally has a direct relationship between our ability to produce an income as well. You know, there's a direct correlation in society between self-worth, um, and you could say self-love as well, but self-worth, self-love, and then also net worth. I mean, there are people out there who make large sums of money, but don't really appreciate themselves, but that's normally someone who is unclear. In order to, Money, you know, money is just a form of value exchange uh, or an agreed upon value exchange. So those who normally understand that they're worth value or worth something will normally ask for a, a good return as well. Um, that's fair. That's fair on both sides. That's fair and equitable. Um, so, yeah. Cool. 
I've got about a zillion questions. Uh, go yeah, go for it. I'm just being, I've been raving like my brain's all for you because, you know, I'm halfway. It's good. It's you, good. It's pretty much like for anyone who's listening, it's, it is my lunch break here, at, you know, at an event. So my brain's like just been absolutely exploded all morning. So I'm like, normally I'm a lot more fluent in my talking and my speaking. No, um, it's perfect. But yeah, it's a, I'm, I'm a bit sort of crazy at the moment. Oh, yep. good. So you touched on uh, values, mission, purpose. Yes. And values is something that uh, I touch on a lot and I tend to really lead my clients through coming to understand. Mm -hmm. I've heard you explain values and you were the one who initially introduced me to them. Mm -hmm. Can you explain it in your way? Yeah. So all humans have a set values. Actually, all animals have a set value. Now, what animals I've, too. Yeah. Well, what have, I mean, that any, if you think about it, anything that we, anything that sustains life or allows us to do more in life is a value. Yep. Um, even the fact that I'm drinking water right now, it means that water in my head it has more value than coffee because if not, I'd be drinking coffee. If coffee in the morning has a high value than water, you get up and go drink coffee instead of water. So our values shift depending on the environmental factors and depending on what's going on. But we have a whole bunch in, internally of human drivers. Mm -hmm. Now, psychology and other sort of social sciences or, or uh, I guess you could say softer sciences, they'll talk about values as being these things like kindness and love and respect but they're social norms. Yeah. No one ever wakes up in the morning and says, I want people to treat me like shit and disrespect me. No one ever does that. So they're just social norms. Every human being wants to be loved. Every human being wants to be respected. Every human being wants to be appreciated. Everybody wants others to be kind. But then the question becomes, what do, they, what do we want them to be kind for? Mm -hmm. And then that's where it really gets down to our values. So a true value is something, it's actually a field of study called axiology. So it's, it's based on a, a study of, uh, economics um, and that's really where value comes down okay. uh, it comes down to or originally um, but our true core values are core drivers that we have created internally from past experiences so normally from when we we're a child mm -hmm. where we perceive that certain things in our life were missing compared to our environment around us so for some people they might have had an experience in life where they feel like family wasn't around them and so, or that they didn't have close connection with family, so they grow up with a high value on family. Mm -hmm. Others might perceive that they're surrounded by family consistently, and so they have a lower value on family. Now that's not good or it's not bad, it's just that that's how it is. That's how their brain has actually tagged it, and it says that that is important or it's not so important. Now, there are other people out there who say, I struggled financially, my family struggled when I was a kid. Um, maybe, I mean, maybe there's lots of different experiences that can make wealth of value. But it could even be that they went to school, even in a, quite a wealthy school, but they felt like the poor kid in a wealthy school, or they had an experience where other kids had nice shoes and they didn't. So their brain tags wealth as being a high value. So as they grow up, they might be more driven to create wealth or abundance through wealth or finances. Um, and that's not a good or a bad thing, it's just it is what it is. Some people feel like they wanna have certain experiences because maybe they felt trapped as a, as a child or even as a teen. And so they grow up and they get to a point where they go, you know, I want to go out and explore the world uh, or I want to go out and travel. You know, my style of travel is luxury. We used to go on holidays or, or go away quite a bit um, as, as kids, uh, myself and my sister with my parents, but um, my parents never had a lot of money. So for me now, I love travel and I love exploring things, but at the same time, I enjoy doing it in a bit more style. Um, you know, I'm not really a huge fan of sand and sleeping bags and, and things like that, but that's just me. And I can't control that. It's my brain has created uh, an idea in my own head where it says this is important in your life. And if you go and fulfill those values, then you will be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. 
So um, I have a high value on learning and I and my idea or my recollection behind why that is, is because when I was at school, I was put into special classes, told that I had dyslexia and learning difficulties um, and I really struggled at school. Uh, also, I have a high value on teaching. I, I perceived that when I was a kid, uh, I had lots of experiences where teachers didn't believe in my uniqueness as a child. Uh, I was sort of pushed into a category, into a box. So now the reason why I learn so much and why I study so much um, and also why I try to find some of the smartest people in the world to hang around um, is so that I can learn off of them, but also so I can get to teach um, normal or the average the average person. Um, and I won't say that they're average because anyone who comes to my courses normally aren't average. They're someone who says, fuck it, life isn't where I want it to be. I want life to expand and I need to go and do something in order to change it. So they're normally people with a lot of courage. Like it's easy to sit in... Uh, a pool of shit that you've created in life and say, you know, poor me. Mm. And then you throw up your victim card and, and you walk around and you tell everyone how crap everything is. But that doesn't change anything. Like, no one has ever been successful in changing life by doing that. It takes a shitload of courage to wake up one day and say, you know what, my life isn't where I want it to be. Now, that could be someone who's a multimillionaire, but it could also be someone who's hit rock bottom. We had a person only recently come to one of my events and afterwards she booked in for an appointment to just catch up with me for a chat. And when I went downstairs, she's got a son with um, uh, quadriplegic cerebral palsy. And um, when I sat down with her, she was about to lose her house, uh, was going through a divorce. Ex-husband was a heavy methamphetamines drug user who had been kicked out of the house, uh, had two kids, and had she had full-time care of her son and had, uh, was about to lose her house. So, um, you know, sitting there, most people, when I look at a person like that, I go, fucking hell, they've hit rock bottom. Like, they, you couldn't probably get any worse than that. Mm -hmm. And then she just said to me, something's got to change. Like, something has to change. And she said, I'll be at your course because I know that something has to change. Yeah. And she said, I'm ready. A person like that inspires me just as much as someone who's, you know, driving Ferraris and Lamborghinis or who's a world champion in sport that I get to work with. Because anyone who wants to push the limits, doesn't matter where, you're at, where you are in life, it creates a shitload of courage. Because that victim card is so easy to hold up. Um, that poor me card is so easy to hold up. And this day and age, we've got a society that promotes it. You know, we've got a society that's just wrapped up in this idea of, you know, one day everything's going to change if everyone just looks after us. But that, that never works. It's never worked since the dawn of time. The thing is that my life isn't where I want it to be and I want to change it. And we've got to get out there and do something. It's definitely important to have people who support you and, and people who also push you and tell you the truth. Um, a lot of people in our society don't have people around them who tell them the truth. You know, asking me, do I look fat in this? It's probably a bad question to ask someone <laughs> like me because I'll tell you the truth. Like, if you've let yourself down um, and you're asking me that question because you actually want the answer, I'm going to tell you the truth. But a lot of people go, I don't want to offend someone. But at the same time, you reinforce habits or patterns yeah. that they have that keep them stuck, which actually makes them miserable and feel like shit. But our society's like wrapped up in this idea at the moment. And it's only been probably the last 10 or 15 years that it's been happening. Um, it hasn't always been like that. You know, if, if I ask my grandparents, like, you know, does it look like I put on weight? They'll say, you know, you definitely look like you haven't put on weight. You know, if I if I go and waste all my money doing dumb shit, my grandparents would be the first one to give me a clob around the back of the head and say, get your shit together, mm. you know, get, get your life together. How can we help? But we're not going to help you to promote bad habits. Um, yeah, we're in this stage in our society at the moment where it's like this over-supportive model. Yeah. And even we get a lot of doctors and, and people of all different health professions come to my events and they're just so pissed off with their industry because their industry has created this over-supporting model that doesn't help people. It actually helps keep them stuck. Yeah. And they'll see the same clients over and over and over and over again. But there's also this massive fear of litigation and um, you know being sued and all that stuff. So a doctor can't say to a client, look, you put on a ton of weight 
no wonder you've got diabetes, get your shit together. Because at the same time, if they do that, the client gets out there, they go to the newspaper, and then all of a sudden you get all the, uh, you know, people who are offended by that, who then, you know, slam the doctor, and then the doctor feels like shit because he opens up Facebook, and he's Facebook slammed with angry people. It's just this craziness that we have in our society. But at the same time, those people who are trying to do good and help everyone, a lot of the time are keeping people trapped. Mm. I think the greatest thing that you can do in life for people that you care about is actually tell them the truth. Yeah. And, and not being out of balance, not saying stuff like, you know, not, not going crazy with it, but if someone asks you and says, you know, do I look like I put on a bit of weight? Just say, yeah, you, you have. But at the same time, how can I help? Like, is, is there something that I can do to help? Mm. But at the same time, I'm not going to take away your problem. Because yeah. I'm not going to walk into the gym and get stronger by taking your weight. Mm -hmm. The only way you're going to get strong is start lifting. Yeah. Uh, and that's how we need it. I think how we, we're our, a better approach to helping people in life is support them enough to take on the weight. But don't give them too much weight that it's going to crush them. But at the same time, don't take the weight off of them because you just make them stay weak and you get stronger. Yeah. Um, and actually, a lot of people in the, the health industry, in the mental health industry, get their self-worth by solving everyone else's problems and not helping the client solve their own problems. Mm. One of the greatest gifts that you can give someone is actually helping them solve their own problems. Mm -hmm. um, not actually taking away their problems. Yeah. So um, I don't know if that answered the question on self-love, but uh, we went a little bit... <laughs> A little bit wild as I do on stuff, but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, um, I think that you know, with with self love, it's really about coming down to you growing stronger as an individual within yourself and balancing out more of your emotional stuff and more of the mental stuff that's going on in your head that's creating imbalances. Yeah. The more that you can do that, the more you grow. And you know, I, I grew up being really angry and really aggressive. Like I got stabbed in the head when I was younger okay. uh, with a glass bottle. Um, you know, I've had my teeth broken, hence why they're porcelain veneers. So I have nice white shiny teeth. <laughs> Um, benefit now, not so good when you're 21 and your teeth break like every two or three weeks when you're eating pizza and you've got to go back to the dentist. And, you know, I had crazy stuff going on like that because I used to just be really angry and really aggressive all the time. But I wasn't pissed off at anyone else. I was pissed off at myself because yeah. I wasn't living up to my own expectations. Mm -hmm. I was living a life where, you know, I thought that if I could make my mum happy or my parents happy, then life would be better. Um, and, you know, I felt like my, my parents' self-worth was partly due to me, mm -hmm. which it wasn't. It was, it, my parents had shit that they were going through and they wanted the best for me, but I thought that that was, I had to live up to those expectations that they'd created, but that was their expectations, not my expectations. Yeah. My life was completely different. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I remember even one of the biggest challenges that I had uh, was I had a best friend whose three-year-old niece was killed in a car accident when I was about 19. And it made me really reconsider life. And tragedy has a funny way of doing that to most people. Um, and it made me ask questions like, what's the purpose of my life? Why am I here? How do I want to be remembered when I'm not here? And they were questions that, you know, I did all this schooling, right, to teach me how to live life. And they were the most important questions that every human being ever asks is, what's the purpose of my life? Why am I here? And how am I going to be remembered when I'm not here? Yet, I was never taught that at school. Mm. You know, three of the most simple questions that we could ever ask, but things that we weren't taught at school. Yeah. When I did that, it actually made me really consider who I was as a person. And for yeah. about two to three years, I couldn't figure out those answers. But what I knew was that the gym was a place that I loved. And so I was working as a diesel mechanic, uh, seeing all these guys going up to the mines, making tons of money, which I thought was the purpose of life, right? You make a shitload of money, money buys you all this stuff, money makes you happy. Now, I think everyone who is sort of semi-intelligent realizes that that's not the truth. Mm. Money is just a byproduct of... Um, our value in society that's all that it is and we can uh, and normally it is actually an amplifier the more money we make the more it amplifies everything so it amplifies our shitty habits it amplifies yeah. our good habits 
it amplifies our negative emotions, it amplifies our empowered emotions. So um, <clears throat> there were lots of people who were going up to the mines and coming back and they were still just as miserable. It's just now they had more money and they're miserable. And um, yeah, I started, I started questioning what I really wanted to do in life. And um, you know, it, uh, it got to a point where I got signed off my apprenticeship and the day I got signed off my apprenticeship, I walked uh, into the boss's office and I said, I'm out of here, like I'm leaving, I'm done. And uh, he said, what are you gonna do? And I said, I don't know, it's not this. And uh, anyway, I put the toolbox in the car. I drove back to mum and dad's house where I was living at the time. And I told my mum that that's it, I'm done, I'm done. And she burst into tears. You know, all you gotta do is stick at it for 10 years and you'll be set for life. And I'm thinking <laughs> 10 years, like in 10 years, I would have probably killed myself. Yeah. You know, this isn't what I wanna do. This isn't, this isn't what I want. Um, but at the time as well, like my parents had come from financial hardship where my mum fell pregnant at me with, at 17 years of age. Uh, my dad used to work two jobs. Um, you know, he'd have a day job, then a night job. Uh, my mum used to work in an industry where she couldn't go to university and things like that. So she was a shoe clerk. Mm -hmm. They never made a lot of money. Uh, I used to go to school and get picked on for wearing, you know, Aerosport or Dunlop shoes when all the other kids, I'm playing basketball in Aerosports and these other kids are in Nikes and stuff. Yeah. So I think as a family, we felt like we weren't good enough. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think when I quit, all my mum's stuff came out, which was, you know, what are you gonna do with your life? How are you gonna survive? How are you gonna make yourself feel good enough? How are you gonna fit into society? So my mum's crying her eyes out, you know, what are you gonna do? Um, because she had all these fears, but in the back of my mind, I thought this is it, like I'm free. I get to choose what I wanna do. Yeah. And then when I started as a personal trainer, it took you know a couple of years to establish myself. But by the time I left that industry, which was about 11 years ago now, or 10 years ago, whatever it was, um, you know, I was making about $250,000 a year because I fucking loved it. Mm. Um, and I was good at it. Like I worked 24 hours a day, seven days a week if I had to. Like I just loved it and I thrived off of it and I wanted to learn. Um, <clears throat> and so I was working in the medical center, learning off of doctors and I was working with the psychologists and, and a whole bunch of different experts in their field, just wanting to learn, like I loved it. Um, and the same as when I got in here, you know, when I quit that job, again, my mum burst into tears. What are you gonna do? You're doing great. <laughs> you know, she, at first, she never told anyone that I'd quit my job as a diesel mechanic, but then all of a sudden when I started doing really, really well as a personal trainer, she told everyone how great I was doing. Yeah. Then when I started doing and uh, working in this industry, you know, same thing, those old fears came out and she was all emotional and all worried about me. And then uh, when I started doing well in this industry as well, now she's proud and tells everyone how great I'm doing and you know, how much I'm loving life. But I just found that uh, you know, I, just, I just do what's important within my own life. And that's, that's the way, that I think that's the best way to, to grow and expand the money. If you, if you chase the money, you'll never ever be fulfilled. Yeah. But if you chase the thing that you love to do and then you're the best at it, you always make money. If yeah. you look at the top 10% of any industry, they're all the high income earners. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter what it is, like you know, 90% of artists never ever make any money, like they're poor, they, they live off of broke. But the best of the best artists, the people who actually love what they do and dedicate their life to that art, mm -hmm. they're the ones who make the shitload of money. You know, they're the Picassos and, mm -hmm. and people like that. You look at the music industry, I don't know how many people out around the world own guitars and drum kits and things like that, and they'll never make any money. And if they do, it's it's like barely enough to even you know maybe even provide a steak dinner once a week. Mm -hmm. um, but the best musicians make tons of money. You know, fortunes. Um, every industry is exactly the same, um, and and so that's why I say go find what you love first, and then the money will come. Yeah. But if you're in a rush because you're you've got a fantasy around. Um, you know, my friends will think this, like my friends will think that I'm a loser if I don't make heaps of money, then you're trapped just like everyone else. Like why compare yourself to the average who fucking hate life? Mm. I think that way too many people wake up in the morning 
they go to work and then they compare their life to everybody else who is the same as them, yet they don't realize that they hate their life just like everybody else hates their life as well around them. But no one talks about how much they fucking hate their own life. If they if they truly listen, or they probably do in the lunchrooms and stuff. But you know, if you if you want to compare yourself to people, compare yourself to yourself and where you were last year. Because if you're in the same place last year, or worse, um, oh, sorry, worse this year, then you know you're going backwards. You're contracting, yeah. and yeah. things that don't grow die. Things that don't expand contract. Yeah. And if your own life isn't expanding, if your own life isn't growing, then you're contracting and you're dying mentally, emotionally, physically, metaphysically. Um, that's not a good place to be in life. Mm. So um, coming back to values, your values are super important because they're the things that help you to yeah. grow and to expand and they tell you what your priority is. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be an artist because art's not my highest value. It's mm-hmm. not the thing that I do best. What I love is I love teaching and learning. They're my two highest values and I make good money out of it. Yeah. get a lot of people who criticize me because they go, you're non-university educated. I'm happy for most of those people to come to my events and I, and I can guarantee you, you, you've seen my work. Mm. I reference everything with scientific journals and research articles. Like I don't just make this shit up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I learn from people who are smarter than I am in their field. Yeah. It's just I go and, and find all that research and I piece it together in a way that is easily understandable and presentable to the general public. Um, you know, I had a guy only a couple of weeks ago criticizing me in some skeptic group. You know, this guy's a wanker, not a real scientist and blah, blah, blah. But the thing is that most scientists can't relate their science to the general public. Mm. I'm actually helping science get out to the general public by helping un- helping the general public understand scientific principles that will actually help their life expand. Yeah. I'm actually helping science in a way. Um, but no matter what you do, you're always going to get people who criticize because they don't look at themselves in the mirror and say, I'm not doing what I want. Mm. So they focus on everyone else's shit. Yeah. Um, and that's all okay too. You know, it, it is what it is. And I think, you know, the more you're in that 10% and the more you push yourself to keep achieving and you're doing what you love, the more people are going to criticize you. Because 90% of society aren't doing what they love. They're frustrated, they're angry, and if they can find a way to criticize, because it takes it takes their eyes off of them for a short period of time. Yeah. But it is what it is. Beautiful. You know? Yeah. So that's what values are anyway. Cool. Um, so I've seen a couple of times over however long I've known you, the five years, whatever it's been, mm-hmm. um, on your social media, I've heard it in passing here and there, um, Michael's lucky. Mm. What would you say, because I mean, you're obviously pretty successful in going out and living your values and dealing with both the challenges and support of that. Yep. What's it really like being the Mojo Master? Okay, look, I'm, I'm lucky enough that all I did in order to create the success that I've had is just write a letter to Santa every year and one day deliver. that's it. <laughs> like normally I get that. Sometimes I'll rock up somewhere and someone will go, oh, you're really lucky. You know, I was out driving the other week and uh, I'm fortunate enough, I've always loved cars and um, I went through a stage where I actually sold um, the car that I loved in order to buy a more practical car and then I sold that car and I actually used to drive around uh, now my wife Jess I drove through, I drove around her 2003 Hyundai Gets for three years so I used to go to business meetings <coughs> with multi-millionaires uh, one of my clients at the time was almost a billionaire and uh, who's now a good friend and I'd rock up to meetings he'd say come to my meeting and I'd drive it down into the car park of their office and there'd be Ferraris and Lamborghinis and Porsches like you know the ducks nuts of uh, their industry, which at the time uh, or uh, is property development. And um, I used to park the little blue Hyundai in there and get out of the Hyundai in my cheap ass business suit um, <laughs> that I used to wear at the time because I used to think that that was appropriate. And um, you know, I, I just, I had to do what was what was the right thing to do, not the thing that was going to impress everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so when I get someone who comes up to me and says, you know, oh, you're lucky because you drive a supercar. I go, yeah, all I did was I just wrote a letter to Santa every year and <laughs> one day I woke up and it was in the garage. How about that? Like, fuck. Because um, then they look at you like, you're stupid. But at the time, it's stupid. Like, 
anyone who thinks that someone's lucky, uh, what I am is I'm lucky enough to be born in Australia. That's about where it started. I'm lucky enough to be born in a country where I have shitloads of opportunities. And that's a fantastic thing. I, I won't take that away. After that, everything else was shit that I had to do to create. And everyone has challenges in life. Everyone has problems. Like I'm not saying that anyone has an easier life than anybody else, um, but everyone has challenges. Everyone has the story of I had nothing and I had to create something. I've worked with people who have inherited, um, you know, 70 plus million dollars. Now, even them, they have a lot of shit that they have to go through inside of that family or family dynamic in order to create that or to, to take on that inheritance. Because that would be like saying, to, to me, taking on inheritance, because there, there are lots of people out there who say, oh, you, well, you know you're lucky because you came from a rich family. Not that I was, but I've heard that before mm -hmm. um, with, with um, certain people. Well, if that's the case, that's like saying, well, you're lucky because your dad is the world's strongest man, which now has made you the world's strongest man. Yeah, okay, there might be a little bit of genetics in there, but you've got to get to the gym every day mm -hmm. and lift a shitload of heavy weights in order to be able to take on that, that weight. You can't just walk into the gym because your dad's strong and lift 140 kilo uh, for a squat because it'll crush you. The same thing happens with wealth. So I don't think that there are people really who are lucky. We create our own luck and either things expand or they contract. So when someone even inherits money, they have to either expand that money or the money's gonna contract and end up at zero. Yeah. There are lots of people around the world who take on inheritance from their family and lose it all. There are a very small percentage who take it on and expand, like a Kerry Packer or a Gina Reinhardt or something like that. Um, and those who do that, are normally uh, people who actually grow quite a lot and take on a lot of challenges. So in my own life, when someone tells me that I'm lucky, that's all okay. Like if that's how they, they want to unintelligently think about life, well, that's it. Some people are lucky, some people are unlucky. You know, you get your victim card again, you get to walk around and tell everyone how your life's shit. Well, that's fantastic. You get, you know, 60, 70, 80 years of that stuff, and then you get to die. Mm. That's gonna be your life. Yeah. What I've found is that the coolest people that I get to meet are those who come up to me and they go, and this is what happened a couple of weeks ago. I was out driving and um, this older guy came up and he said, oh man, I love your car. And I said, thanks. And he goes, what do you do? And I told him, he goes, wow, like you must work really hard in order to be your age and have a car like that. And I said, yeah. And, and we got talking about this stuff and it created an awesome discussion. And there were things that I learned from him and there were things that he learned from me. I think that when you ask people questions, you create a learning and that learning is something that helps people to grow. When someone comes up and they go, you're lucky, well, there's nothing to learn in there. So you go back to living a shit life and being a victim and I'll go on living my life, being lucky and driving a nice car and, and having the lifestyle that I have. Mm. Either way, no one wins from that situation. Like it's not, it's, it's unintelligent. Yeah. Um, but it's a way that a lot of people, uh, I think, justify their decisions in life. So a little bit about my life, I guess, you know, I went through school where I was put in a special classes. I used to get picked on quite a lot. I had bright red hair as a kid. You can probably see it now because I've been <laughs> out in the sun a little bit lately. So my hair's starting to go a little bit red again. So I had bright red hair. I was freckled. I had freckles. I still got freckles everywhere. I had white pasty skin. Um, at school, I was chubby as well. I never really got along with a lot of the other kids. Uh, I used to be friendly with everybody, but I don't think that I had a close group of friends. Yeah. Uh, on my 18th birthday, I had uh, no one came, none of my friends from school came to my 18th, and they were all my family's friends. So you know, I was pretty fucking lucky as a kid. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was an amazing time. Uh, you know, I loved school because I spent most of the time sitting outside of class because I got kicked out. Um, and then at 15, I got expelled from school because I used to get picked on by a couple of kids. And um, this one time, I beat the shit out of a kid, and um, I was expelled from school. And in that moment, I thought that I was the world's biggest piece of shit. Like. You know, I, I 
got to a point one night where I sat there with a kitchen knife on my wrist and I thought, that's it, I'm fucking done. Like, I'm done in this world. Um, I can't please uh, school. I didn't have a close group of friends. Um, yeah, I just felt like a piece of shit and, and I felt worthless. And then I'd get home from school of having a shit day and then I'd have to deal with my mum because I'd have to get her to sign my detention cards because I was in trouble again. Um, and so for me, my, my younger years, I didn't enjoy it. I enjoyed parts of it. Uh, my parents had a, a shack up in the Riverland with a whole bunch of friends, so I'd go up there on weekends. But as a kid, I just wanted to fit in. Yeah. Going up there and partying with, because my mum was only 17 years older than what I was, and, and dad was 18 a bit years older. Um, it was cool growing up with young adults and them partying and running a mark and going water skiing and riding motorbikes and racing rally cars and things like that. That was really cool. But at the same time, I just want to fit in with kids at school and you can't really go to school and talk about shit that you've done and all this crazy antics that these young adults are having when most of the kids at school, their parents were in their 40s and, and so on. Um, and you know, they were, they were out playing football on the weekend and I just didn't fit in. Um, and so yeah, I tried to kill myself when I was 15 and then uh, became uh, realized I couldn't live up to anyone else's expectations, went back to school. That, that's when I started creating some cool friends at school between um, grade 10 at school and, and grade 12. Um, and then from there, you know, had a few other challenges, but nothing too major. And then my best friend's three-year-old niece was killed in that car accident. And we used to look after her all the time, and that was a big shock. Then um, getting out into the diesel mechanic industry, like I just fucking hated it there because a lot of the kids who were apprentices in that, that industry, they'd come from farming backgrounds and so on, so they knew a lot. And in there, it was just like being back at school again. I used to get bullied all the time because I didn't know a lot, and so I'd just get called a dumb fuck and an idiot. And, and to be honest, I didn't really enjoy it that much anyway. Um, so I really didn't care. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I had all this shit with, especially my mum as well, because I think my mum felt really guilty that she fell pregnant at 17 years of age in a Catholic family. And uh, my dad's a bogan atheist Aussie. And, uh, you know, his favourite haircuts are mullet and, uh, and, and footy shorts. That's definitely his, like, uh, favourite clothes. So, um, yeah, I, I think I had lots of, lots of challenges. And then starting a business as well, it's like, for people who love business, it's the best thing that you ever do, but at the same time, it's the worst thing you ever do. When someone comes up to me and they say, you know, you're so lucky because you get to do whatever you want, whenever you want, that's the dumbest myth about business is like, I'm going to start a business so I can do whatever I want. That's someone who actually doesn't make money in business. That's someone who has a job, who gets paid a little bit more than someone who doesn't have it, who doesn't own the business, but really they've got a job where now they have to do their invoicing, taxing, all that stuff. So they're going to work probably an extra 20 hours a week um, just to make a little bit more money. But at the same time, they would have been better off having a job where they don't have to do all the shit that they hate doing. Mm. Um, you know, if I can try to convince people not to start a business, it's the best thing that I can do for them. Um, those who love business, like I love business, it's a, it's a massive challenge. Mm. You know, how do you feel when you've got to fire someone? Because if you don't fire them, um, the business starts going backwards. And when the business starts going backwards, eventually you've got to tell your good staff that you can't employ them anymore and that they can't feed their kids. Mm -hmm. So there's this huge amount of pressure. There's a huge amount of pressure of being a business owner um, that most people take for granted. Yeah. There's a 95% uh, uh, failure rate, I think, after five years of business. Wow. So you're actually better off taking your life savings and putting it on black in the casino, and you've got a greater chance of actually making money than you do by starting a business. But most people don't think like that. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's something like 95% of those businesses that actually succeed up to 10 years don't make a million dollars, which means they're still a lot of the time very small and self-employed. Um, so there are huge challenges. Like every week for me, um, I mean, when I was younger, when I was quite young, I think at 13 or 14, my parents took me to boxing. And so I used to uh, do quite a lot of boxing when I was younger uh, to control my redhead anger issues that I had. And anyone who knows a redhead knows that most redheads are pretty fiery. Um, so yeah, um, 
I used to do boxing and I, I, I think that uh, really business is just boxing. You mm. get in the ring one day and you've got this goal of holding your hands above your head and holding the trophy. But when you get in there, you get the shit kicked out of you. And some days you end up on the floor all beat up and you go, why am I doing this? Like, this is just the dumbest thing that I've ever done. I don't want to get back into the ring anymore. This is fucked. And you just want to throw in the towel. And then you leave it a couple of days or you leave it a week and then you end up, you know, training again um, and picking yourself back up. And then all of a sudden you end up back in the ring again um, in the hope that one day you're going to hold that ha the hands above your head. And all that happens, I think that when I started boxing, I remember... You know, I used to think that I was a good boxer because I used to shadow box in the mirror at home when I was like 13, <laughs> um, not knowing what I was doing. But then you sort of get good at shadow boxing. Then you start hitting the bag and, yeah. um, you know, your wrists start hurting and everything starts hurting. Then you start getting good on the bags and then, you know, you get thrown into the ring and you start to spar and then, you know, you get beat up a few times and you feel pretty bad again. And it's really the same thing. Like all that happens in life is that you just get greater, greater challenges and those greater challenges still beat you up just as bad as you know, every other time you've got beaten up, it's just that you end up with stronger opponents consistently. Um, and really every challenge that you have in business is a stronger opponent. Yeah. You know, I still have financial issues. Um, every, I, I was only about two weeks ago, I went out to lunch with a guy who I'd met one day actually getting my car washed and he was a billionaire and, uh, or, or his family were billionaires. Uh, actually, they, they run a whole bunch of different businesses. But we're talking, I was talking to him and he still has financial issues. Mm. It, it's just the, the challenges are bigger you know if he if he has an issue with coming up with money he might have to come up with 10 million dollars in a week in order to pay staff because his staffing cost might be 10 million bucks a week yeah. whereas a small business they might have 40 to eighty thousand dollars worth of staffing costs a week or per month mm. then someone else is struggling financially uh, making five grand a week now to some people they go shit i couldn't imagine struggling financially five thousand dollars a week but that same person struggled when they were making $14 or $13 or $7 a week at McDonald's, mm. they still had financial struggles at seven bucks a week. Then they got their first full-time job and earned 15 or $16 a week and they still were struggling financially. Then they were making $20 an hour and they were still struggling financially. And now they're making 30 bucks an hour and they're still struggling financially. Mm. So those same challenges keep popping up over and over again. It's just yeah. the challenges keep getting bigger. Yeah. You know, you don't go from amateur boxing into professional and expect to win. Mm. You know, I mean, you might if you're really skilled, but, um, you know, definitely the, the challenges that you have in life get bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. And when I say financial pressures, um, I'm not saying that people who are billionaires are broke. Um, they just have big, big challenges. Yeah. The, same, as, the yeah. same challenges that they had when they were little. They have the same, they have the same feeling of stress at a billion dollars as what they have at $40,000 a year. Mm. Um, it's the same feeling. It's just that you, you get uh, greater challenges and there's also greater rewards. Mm -hmm. That's how life is. We solve one problem, we create a bigger problem. We solve that problem, we create an even bigger problem. Um, I, I think something that a lot of people in society um, do, which affects them in a really painful way, is that they think, if I can just get rid of my problems, life will be easy. Mm -hmm. And it's the craving of ease, it's the craving of comfort that makes most people have a challenging life and a, yeah. an uncomfortable life. I would much prefer to wake up in the morning and choose my challenges and pick my battles and to understand that life's not gonna be easy today, that life's gonna be challenging, but what are the challenges that I want? Mm. You know, if, if you wake up in the morning, you go to the gym, there's, that's, that's your challenge. But if not, the challenge is gonna be that you're overweight and obese, and now you're gonna get told by a doctor you've got diabetes, that's the challenge. Yeah. So you're gonna get challenged, it's just are you choosing the challenge, or is life giving you the challenge? Which yeah. one? Because I'm a control freak, I wanna have the control over which challenges that I take on. Yeah. Because um, life's a lot easier that way, I think. But Definitely. then at the same time, it's just it's challenging as well. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Uh, I'm very mindful of time. 
Um, That's all right. We're all good? Yeah, we're good. Well, I've got about another 10 minutes. Cool. Um, what would you recommend for someone who's looking to, you know, who has the courage and is looking to start to, you know, really move towards living more of their values and their purpose? What's what's the first step? Okay, look, uh, first thing is to strap the nuts on. you gotta you got to have a big set of balls in order to take life, you know, by the Touché. horns. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Even for the ladies out there, you know, you got to strap them on and you got to go for it. Because if not, I don't, I don't think... Anytime someone has a vision of a greater life, which I think everybody does, a lot of a lot of people kill it with alcohol and drugs and television or food, um, short-term immediate gratification a lot of the time, um, even buying lots of shit for their house that they end up, it just creates clutter and then they end up, you know, thinking why the fuck did I spend all this money on this crap and then they end up giving it away or, or getting rid of it. Um, you know, every I, I think everyone who really has a dream or thinks big and if you think long enough about something like you know i'm sure elon musk consistently as a kid said i want to go to space i want to go to space i want to go to space well he's gone to space mm. um that's that's a dream mm. if you think about something for long enough it's normally in your value system for me all i wanted to do was to speak in front of ten thousand people and it's getting closer and closer and closer um now a lot of people don't have that dream that's my dream though and it keeps popping up into my head which means there's part of me that believes that i can do it and that it's real enough in order to go and chase it so when you have that, the first thing that you've got to do is just strap on the knackers, right? You've got to strap it on and just say, you know what, fuck it. I've got this dream. No one else can see it. You know, when I said that I wanted to go out and start running events, everyone said, why would you do that? It's stupid. There's no money in it. When I was a personal trainer, there's no money in it because that's how a lot of people uh, relate to what they do in life is like, it's got to be about the money. Um, and so they didn't see the dream. I saw the vision. I had the vision. It was inside my head. And so I just I had to go out there and to start pushing and challenging myself and find my own courage in order to do it. Once they started seeing that I was getting results, then they went, oh, you're lucky. Um, and that's just the way that it is. So you've got to strap them on first in order to get out there and go and do it because you've got to have huge amounts of courage in order to go and chase your own dreams because no one else is going to see it. And you might have some people around you who go, you know what, you'll probably do it. But at the same time, they're going to still have hesitations and fears because if they're not living up to their own expectations, they're going to have doubts about whether you can do it because they don't believe they can. Yeah. Normally, the greatest doubters in life are those who actually don't do anything within their own life. Mm -hmm. What I've found is that the higher the, higher the level of the achievement in life, the more support you actually get when you can get into those inner circles. You know, like I've got a lot of friends of mine now who are worth tens, hundreds of millions of dollars, even billionaires, um, and a lot of high-performance athletes as well. Now... They were the ones who went out and chased it. So they believe in themselves enough in order to believe in others. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people go, oh, they're rich pricks, they're assholes. But that's just shit that they create because they can't get into those inner circles. Those inner circles are very, very sensitive. Mm -hmm. They're sensitive enough because they get judged a lot. They get criticized a lot. So what they do is they build massive walls and barriers to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. And it takes a long, long time to, walk, to work into those circles. Um, I've got friends of mine where I've known them for three or four years. And we've been close enough that they can come over for dinner. And only recently have some of them started coming to me and saying, hey, look, I've got a few friends that I think you should work with. They're the ones who say, hey, look, I've got a business. You know, they've had businesses for 10 years, 15, 20 years. They're only just starting to after three, four, five years saying, look, I think you should come into my business and do some work with my um, like high performance management teams. Because it takes a long time for those guys to build trust because they've been burnt so many times. Like you got to think that even if you start making good amounts of money, all of a sudden you start to notice that sharks start circling and they could be your friends, they could be your family, you know, the one handout, something for nothing. Well, when you've worked your ass off for years and years and years, you don't want to give away everything you've worked hard for for nothing. Yeah. You want to protect it. Like you're happy to help others, but at the same time, you're happy to help others to step up. You don't want to just waste all of your hard work 
giving it away to people who are going to lose it all again. Yeah. Um, so they're normally very protective of their inner circles. But what I found is that when you're in those inner circles, they're, they're normally the ones who actually treat you the best. Because when you say, look, i got a dream, they go, go for it, dude. Yeah. Like, fuck yeah, you've got this. I got your back. But at the same time, like some of my mates will ring up and I'll go, man, I've had a shit week. And then I'll start, I'll talk about the shit week and they'll listen. They'll offer a little bit of advice and then, you know, it's just this, this stuff's gone really, really bad and I hold up my victim card. And all of a sudden they'll just stop and they'll just go, look, why'd you ring me? You go, well, cause I was, you know, I want some help with your problems. Well, I gave you the advice that you need. Go and do that because now you're just whinging and you're whining mm. and now you're wasting my time. And they'll pull you up on it. Mm-hmm. And then you have to reflect back on yourself and go, shit, actually I am. Mm. If you turn around and you go, oh, they're just assholes and they, they don't want to listen, they don't fucking care. They'll shut you down in two seconds because they don't have time to waste with bullshit. Someone who, I, I mean, if you look at, uh, I think someone who makes on average a million dollars a year. So if they earn a million dollars a year, their time is worth about 433 bucks an hour or something like that. About four to 500 bucks an hour, mm-hmm. right? If they work for 48 uh, weeks of the year, about 40 hours a week or something like that, you can do the math um, yourself. But they're worth about 400 bucks an hour. So they're happy to help you. They're happy to give away that time. And a lot of people don't value people's time, so they'll waste guys like that time mm. or guys or girls. When I'm around them, I value their time because I want to be in those inner circles and I, I appreciate their time. But if you start whinging and bitching and moaning, they'll start to tell you that they don't have time. Mm. They don't have time to catch up. They don't have time for a coffee because they're busy. Because during those times, they feel like you've wasted their most valuable asset, which is time. They can always... I know that I can make more money. I can't get back time though. Yeah. Time is the most valuable thing that I have. At the end of every day, I'm a day closer to death. Mm-hmm. And that's a bit gruesome, but it's true. I'm a day closer to death. I don't want to waste today. So I want to wake up, do what I love and go to bed. Yeah. Um, so what I've found is that those who actually achieve at the greatest levels are normally the ones who offer the most amount of support to people who actually have the courage to do something. The ones who offer the most amount of support to people who aren't doing anything are those who actually aren't doing anything, but they'll judge and criticize those who actually want to do something. Mm. And they're normally the friends and the family that you have when you say, look, I'm going to go and do this and I'm going to go to commit something. They'll be the ones who give you all the shit feedback. Yeah. But if you have a look at them, they're not the ones who are stepping up. They're the ones who are stagnating. Yep. The ones who are stepping up just go, go for it. Because they believe in you. You work with athletes. Yeah. When you start training, they're the ones who are there after hours helping you. Mm-hmm. Um, not your friends and family mm. who tell you that it's dumb and that it's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, that's how I always think high achievers are normally the ones who have, who have your back. Boom. Yep. Beautiful. Cool. Um, where can we find you? <coughs> People want um, to follow along? Social media? Yeah, so on Facebook, you can find me at the Mojo Master Coach. Look, anyone who's listening in as well, you can uh, shoot me a private message uh, on my Facebook page at the, at the Mojo Master Coach. You know, I always love hearing from people who, who listen to my stuff or who check out my videos or, you know, I mean, I'm even happy enough to get people who just send me a message that just say you're a wanker and then you know <laughs> block me um that's fine it's always good to know where i stand in society um so yeah um i've already owned that trait so i definitely know i'm a wanker um so uh yeah if, if anyone wants just drop me a message say hi even if you like the podcast or um anything like that just shoot me a message and, and say hi because i'm always interested to to hear from people uh you can also look up uh website mojo master uh, .com.au so www.themojomaster.com.au uh, all of our events and seminars and all the upcoming stuff that we do uh, is on there um, on Instagram I think it's the mojo or mojo underscore master on Instagram um, 
I guess, look, if someone wants to find me, you just go to Google, right? Oh, and you type yeah. in the Mojo Master and it comes up. Uh, you see all the shit that people talk about me in a bad way. You see the things <laughs> that people talk about in a good way. But uh, look, you can filter through all that stuff and actually, you know, find my stuff. So, um, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, uh, cool. You're in the right industry. You can talk a lot. Yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thank you heaps. I hope that made sense to someone out there, you know, somewhere. And I hope that I've inspired someone to do something cool with their life. So, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having Perfect. me as well. My pleasure. So there we have it, ladies and gentlemen. Now, as always, I want to invite you, if you want to know a little bit more about what I do with the Live Free Movement, you can, of course, uh, find me on facebook.com forward slash the Live Free Movement and, of course, over on Instagram at instagram.com forward slash Brianna Bowley. That's B-R-I-A-N-A-B-O-W-L-E-Y. And as always, I want to invite you, if you've taken something away from this particular episode or even a past episode or, you know, you've got questions or comments or, you know, you just want to reach out and say, hey, I've been listening, um, I really encourage you. I'm a real person back here. All of my guests are, of course, real people too. Um, and it's always nice to receive a little bit of feedback. As always, I appreciate the hell out of you all. And until next time, what else is possible?